All right, thank you so much. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. I'm really excited today. This is probably going to be the best sounding episode of the show that has ever been produced because Pete is here helping me. We're at RGA, uh, and I'm here talking to Tom Morton. Hey there. Tom, how are you today? I'm terrific, thank you, Adam. You greeted me with some delicious coffee, and I'm really uh, grateful for that. You said it was above average coffee, and you you're, weren't lying. It's, it's really good. British understatement. <laughs> you delivered. Um, tell people just a little bit about, for the people who don't know who you are and what you've been, just give them a quick background on what you do here at RGA. Sure. So uh, my business card says SVP Strategy US, which basically means I'm running the strategy discipline uh, across RGA's New York office, and it's six US offices with my partner, Jess Greenwood. Oh, that's amazing. So um, that's a, I just got a quick tour of the place. And so that looks like a sprawling job. Is it as, as it wide ranging as I imagine? Well, New York's a bit of an aircraft carrier. There's uh, about 700 people here. And then we have six offices around the US. Um, we've got two in LA, San Francisco, Portland, Austin, and Chicago, all representing, all doing their own flavors of strategy and uh, connected work. Does that put you on planes a lot? Or are you mostly able to drive it from here? I wish it put me on more planes. I think the truth is you, you can still do so much more face-to-face and in sure. contact with people. But we, we, we've, learned, we've learned to become very socially dependent on the Zoom call here. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's, it's a, a blessing and a curse how well technology works because it gets you – we were just talking about the last mile. Mm. It gets you so close. But, yeah, there's something about that face-to-face like we're having now versus all the Twitter back and forth that we've had up until now. Absolutely. I, I do have a kind of conspiracy theory that um, – both Zoom calls and Google Docs are actually the secret that's going to make the American workplace more family friendly. You think so? I think it's kind of possible, yes, because the, the the idea that you can go home, you can go home and still work and still be connected. To absolutely, everybody. is uh, is is still kind of useful. That that you know, pulling a late night doesn't mean being in the building away from the family. That's anymore. true. We found that we do our share of Zoom calls and hangouts. And then everybody working in one dock versus what you used to have to do, mm. you know, putting a slide show together and everybody can be in there throwing in slides or editing it in real yeah. time. I think you're right. It makes it a little easier. Yeah, it's hard to be an auteur in that situation. There isn't that anymore, is there? No. Do you have that here? Um, it's. I saw the awards trophies. I saw the, the shelves full of trophies. Do you still have that kind of uh, auteur? I think what we're trying to create here is a culture that is very creative, is very high on creativity, but very, relatively low on like the individual auteur lone genius right. who's responsible for everything. I think the truth is because the place was rooted in um, in film production, then in design and technology, they tend to be disciplines that are that are, are, are creative disciplines that are, that are more collaborative. Yeah, it's much more team oriented. Yeah, absolutely. And then then a, a lot of our a lot of our greatest hits in recent years, like like the Nike Fuel Band, have been things that have taken. Lots Lots of people, lots of different disciplines. So, yeah, it, it, it's hard to be a kind of tortured and lone genius. No, especially you, you use the phrase connected world. Everything you guys are making here, the stuff we're making, is all complicated. It's not like making a poster where one person could just sit down and design it and craft it and do it. There's so many people that have to touch it and make, make it make sense. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and, and and contribute. And I don't think this is, is about getting into a debate about kind of individual creative vision versus um, bureaucracy. I think it's just it's just a reality of it take it takes lots of people to make something great. It takes lots of people to make something work. Yeah, and my favorite thing is when I see you know someone that's a developer adding an insight about the end user that 
you wouldn't, you didn't ask for it. You didn't expect it, but they know something through the code or through their job or through their own experience that says, yeah, but if this, this should be designed like this, this GUI should look different than what you guys are proposing because I know this, I've had this experience. It's a, it has to be a culture of expertise. It has to be a culture of craft. And back in the day, this, uh, the the company has a lot of, here RGA has a lot of beliefs about the about the Bauhaus school mm-hmm. and the the whole the whole culture that you could train people in disciplines right. and <clears throat> and excuse me you could train people in, in in individual artistic disciplines and then they'd learn to work together and and, and like cross pollinate their crafts is, is is still runs really deep in here. Did you come from? You must have come from traditional agencies. Um, yes, absolutely. So um, it's a big change. Yeah, I, I, I was I wasn't born here. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I learned I learned my I learned my craft in my, my my first ten years in England was spent at the agencies that later became Adam and Eve. Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I learned my craft there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it it sounds like we're making small talk, but we're actually not making small talk. We've already started our our discussion. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about was. Um, kind of the strategy behind overcoming bias. Mm -hmm. Um, You've done some amazing work that's been celebrated. And uh, I wanted to pick your brain on what you learned, any kind of research that you guys did or just the work that you did to get the strategy ready for that fantastic campaign. And if you want, you can give people a little bit of background on it if if they're not familiar with the work. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll link to it, obviously. Sure. So one of the things that we're proudest of here at RGA is our work for the Ad Council. And uh, we created a an, an anti-bias platform for them called Love Has No Labels, which has played out in everything from T-shirts and stunts to films over the last four years. And it's had um, a terrific impact on, on, on popular culture. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, the John Cena stuff is like, I can't get over each time I watch it or show it. Um, how well timed it is, and so speaking, you know, back to craft and collaboration, the timing and what that set must have looked like. All right, it wasn't a set, right? It was an actual street. It was. It was an actual street. Um, I, let's let's wind back a little and talk about uh, the, if you like, the the, the the insight behind the work, Please. because uh, unpacking unpacking bias is a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's often been commented that, that that slavery was the original sin of American culture, and bias and the imperative to tackle bias run incredibly deep in in American culture. And yeah. I I tread I tread lightly here as a as, as an outsider. Well, that's why I thought you'd be interesting to talk to you about this because you've done the work and you have uh, an outsider perspective. Um, so it must be a very unique take on it that got to this great work. Sure. So let, let, let's talk about the background to it. And I, I should credit all the strategists and the, the writers and the designers who've, who've worked on this over the years. Really what this comes down to is how do you unpack the issue of, of bias? And I think that the, the paradox you start with is that if you speak... Uh, Speak to anyone, anyone from like a, a minority background or any, anyone who's LGBT, they will talk to you about the the bias and the discrimination that that they felt. A, a clear majority of, um, of 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 minority and LGBT people have experienced bias in in, in everyday life. Right, and I mean daily, right? Absolutely, and, and that 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 is that that that's what we need to overcome. At the same time. If you ask, if you stop people on the street, like ninety percent of people will say that they have no bias, they have no prejudice, and so at some point you have to you have to reconcile these these two truths. It's the same thing as asking people if they're good drivers, right? Yes, ninety percent of people say that while they're flipping off somebody who's just cut them off. Completely. Yeah. And 
so, and so what it what it comes down to is the phenomenon of unconscious bias, and the the assumptions that you might be making that end up um, end up prejudicing or affecting someone. And the truth is, with, with our campaign, we we can't we can't affect. We can't affect the extremists, the people who are truly driven by hate. Right. What we can do is we can we can, we, we, can, we can work we can work in, in in the margin with that with that with that swing vote with that uh, the political term would be the swing voter audience. The middle, who, the middle yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Who who may yeah, who who don't believe themselves to be biased, but may accidentally be displaying some kind of unconscious bias that that leads to a bad outcome for a person, and so. We realised that unconscious bias was going to be the thing we're going to have to tackle, and then it comes on to well, how, how do you tackle that? Because it's very easy to be to be accusatory, call someone out as a bad person. Uh, it's also very easy creatively to to to, to centre in on on the on the evil of bias and on the negativity of it. And that's some, such a safe creatively. That would be the place that you might uh, jump to that insight of like, well, that's wrong. Let's make a campaign that attacks it in some way. But that's yeah. not. That's not going to help anybody. Nobody's going to that needs that message is going to receive that message. Uh, absolutely, and and the, the sorry truth is, awards shows historically were littered with um, with scam double page ads telling you that bigotry was bad. That I, I don't think had had any impact on um, on the wider culture, or, or, or didn't actually work to change anyone's opinion. Right. Which is ultimately the purpose of doing this. So the the, the choice we made was that really we were going to combat bias with love, and that if you really want to disarm people, you you remind them of, of, of our common humanity. Um, you, you, you flood you flood popular culture with love. You you get you get other people to see the good in others. Yeah. And basically, you use 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 your creative platform to to pick at our common humanity and 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 the sweet spots where we can see the humanity in others. And so, that, if you like, that became like the overall principle that basically we were going to we were going to combat unconscious bias. Through flooding culture with love, right, and that that that's that's very useful as an umbrella situation. But then, I think what I think what made our our work successful was we were then extremely choiceful about where we showed up, um, the issues that we spoke to, and 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 exactly how we pinpointed this because this is this is like a very general theme. You didn't just so, turn it into a bunch of posters and a no, campaign. I, I, I mean, you were very thoughtful about how you mix the context. Of the message where it was going to live and what the top, what the exact subject matter was at that time. Absolutely. So the the the, the first the first time we, we we went public with a campaign was the was the beginning of 2015, mm -hmm. and it was a, it was a very charged time um, politically because uh, it was it was the time at which uh, the the U.S. Supreme Court was about to review the uh, the case that uh, that was going to decide on the legality of gay marriage. And so, if you like the the common the common theme in, in popular culture was who, whose relationship is legitimate, right? And so we decided that we would we would talk we'd begin that conversation on Valentine's Day, and we would we'd, we'd confront people's bias, but literally by showing them like a screen, we put a screen up in um, in, in Santa Monica. There was like an X-ray screen. Two people could walk behind it. You would see that they loved each other because they were holding hands or hugging. You had no idea who was behind it. You didn't know if you know was it an interracial couple, was yeah, that, it a gay couple. That work is powerful. And yeah, absolutely, it's just and, two humans. Yeah, and, and and what it did, it just did, it just disarmed people because yeah. it it allowed people to see common humanity, and it allowed people to think that. The, the, it, it, it stopped people from, from judging what relationship was legitimate, what, what love we were going to permit. But strategically, what's so, what got executed so well is 
it's not saying it's right or wrong. It's yeah. not. It's not the work itself is really not making a moral judgment in any case. Yeah. It's just showing you, hey, heads up, you there. You have an opinion on this and you didn't even realize it. Yes. Or you wouldn't have admitted it if we yeah. told you right now. Uh, absolutely. And 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 it as a result, it 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 it, it, disarm, it disarms you. Yeah. And that that was that that was really important. And I think what we've. What we've always tried to do is, is every year we've tried to find like what is what is another opportunity where we might disarm people. What would be a great time to speak? Um, There's nothing going on right now in the world that would merit <laughs> this kind of conversation, though, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> let, 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 let's wind it back because then the next year, obviously, um, 2016 was a was a was a particularly polarizing time in um, in politics and the. The the, the the real issue around love and bias was really who who gets to be an American who who gets to be if if if, 20, if 2015 was a year of whose love gets to be legitimate it was almost like whose citizenship who, whose place in the country right who's a real it? American and who's not absolutely and that that was something that we chose to unpick and and again it's all about disarming and and we we, we made a bunch of choices so firstly. We thought that actually, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about this, you're gonna need someone who can disarm, who can actually speak to both sides of the crowd. Right. Uh, John Saner was was actually perfect for this because that's an amazing casting. Completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's 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 um he's he's a terrific wrestler. He's an action hero. He's the man who actually announced on American television about the death of Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Uh, he 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 could not be more alpha and red blooded, but also he is a he's a terrific philanthropist. He's a great activist for for children. And he is—he's—he's he, he's, yeah, he's, he's the least biased, the most loving person you could meet. And so, yeah, he became an extraordinary spokesman. So, firstly, choosing a spokesman. Secondly, choosing the issue. Let, let's all talk about who is the what actually counts as being an American, and and actually unpacking the the sheer multiplicity and diversity of, of, of who lives in this country, and really just challenging people with the issue that look if you. If you love the country, you you need to you need to love the people of the country. Right. But then the choices went even further. So talking, uh, we launched that particular campaign on July fourth, because that is a time where it's a very patriotic time. Right. Also, it's a time where patriotism is a very uniting force. Where and, we and all we all salute the flag on that. We all, we all we all we all salute that. Anyone standing under the flag is welcome. Right. Absolutely. We also made a lot of executional choices. The the film we shot was in. Um, was in a little town in Florida called Ebor City, which has one of the highest, um, as one of the most diverse populations in America. It was actually built by immigrants. It was built by, it was built by Haitians and by Italians. And so it, it's always been strange. Strangely enough, it's always been this historic model of diversity. And it, it looks like every town in America. Right. It look. It looks. That's like, what's amazing. No it looks the like the Truman story. Show, but it was built by it was built by the Rainbow Nation. And it's like they were funneling their vision of what you know ideal Rockwell America would be. You know, they were all creating it together, but it looks like Abs know, absolute, downtown USA. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, so some, something everyone can relate to. And then and then what, what John Saner also allows you to do, he allows you to talk to other audiences. So uh, he, he brings them a terrific social media footprint. Uh, he brings them the, um, the, the wrestling media empire. Right. And one of the important things we found was we, ha we had tens of millions of views of his message that came from... Um, that came from uh, sites like wrestling sites, John Senna's own, own channel, um, from from Fox News website. Did you know that that 
I mean, was that part of the casting decision, or was that a lucky strike after the campaign started and he started, uh, you know, pu putting it out there on his platforms? Was that just like, a, oh, that's it was part of the decision that made him perfect. I think I think the truth is now when when you uh, partner with celebrity, one of the things that a lot of celebrities bring with them is a social media footprint, and um, it, it's part of the quid pro quo. But again. It comes. It comes down to things that you think of as, as creative or executional choices. Actually, you can make them strategically, because that that message about who is an American, who 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 should we consider as a real American, we could have got like a great late night HBO comedian to do that. We could have got a member yeah. of the cast of Girls to do that. You could have had Oprah do it. Completely, yeah. But and, it's and it, it's very expected. Absolutely, it, it it would it would have preached the choir. And 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 the the entire job here is 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 reach. I think. I think there's an issue that I think that we have in strategy right now, which is that we assume that YouTube views are success. And the truth is, yeah, in, for 99.9% .9 of campaigns, they are a media metric. They are, they're, they're an intermediate step right. towards success. This is one of those rare situations where actually where, where, where views are important because we have very little paid media and actually success is putting our story in front of people who wouldn't otherwise see it. And that's a place where people of all stripes can go see it. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's part of the, um, and we're really inside baseball now, it's part of the effectiveness story of the Love Has No Labels campaign. That the, the, the sheer reach and view count means that millions millions of people who wouldn't have otherwise thought about this issue right. have, have, have seen, followed it through, and, uh, and, and uh, been disarmed and confounded. Well, that's what, that's what the work was meant to do. Do you think... I wanted to ask you about locations. You brought up the town in Florida where it was shot. Um, we're here in New York, so I've been experiencing the melting pot of New York. Mm -hmm. Did you um, do research around the country? Did you how, have you talked to people or gotten feedback from people in other parts of the country or or small towns? I'm just wondering what kind of feedback you've gotten from. I think inside the ad community, we can hold this up and say this is amazing work, and for all the reasons we just said. And, and I think in major metros. Um, you know, blue states, theoretically, you know, we say, oh, yeah, this work, I get it. It's for what I, it's what I believe in. And I'm just wondering, as you were doing research, either pre or post, um, you know, just trying to figure out the strategy from year, you know, before the campaign even launched into year two, had you reached out into other parts of the country? Did you did you do any of that? Or is it mostly common sense and, you know, attacking it just from a, a central viewpoint? Absolutely. Uh, I think just as the campaign only works if it reaches people who are outside the bubble, um, the strategy only works if it learns from people outside the bubble. Yeah, that's so we were we, we were we were out in um, we were out in Missouri. We were down in Alabama, running focus groups and interviewing people just to understand um, not only their reactions to previous work, but actually their experience of bias and and, and how they process it. And that that's. It's part. It's part of the great thing about our partnership with the Ad Council, is because they're a stakeholder organisation. They have to. They have to show success. They have to understand how this works. And so I think one of the most interesting things we do are, are the research tours of um, of Heartland America to understand yeah. how this issue plays out for real. So valuable. Totally. So did you do pre and post for effectiveness? Did you? Um, have, were you measuring kind of change in attitude or? For we 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 run surveys for the changes in attitude, yep. and we do uh, focus group tours to understand how the issue plays out, and understand how we can sharpen our work for the next round. That's the you you segue directly into my next question. So when um, when an agency works with a, a brand, for example, for three, four, five years, it becomes this especially you know great brands. It becomes this sense of 
the creative team or the front end team really wanting to one up themselves. Last mm -hmm. year we did A work. This year we want to do A plus work. You know, we won this award. We want to win those awards. Do you think about that strategically for this? I mean, the work has been so stellar. The insights are so sharp. Um, do you challenge, do you feel that kind of challenge as you're approaching the next year's campaign? Absolutely. And I think what, what, we, what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand how it really works rather than trying to create a formula. I think it, it can be very tempting as a strategist to think that you've decoded the magic formula of how something works. And you, you, you have to keep it real about how, how, is, how is this really created? Yeah. And how does this, um, how, how does the public really receive it? So our partnership with, uh, with Chris and Eric, the executive creative directors who oversee it, is absolutely critical because it's, it, it's just unwise to tell people that here's how the idea you created works. Right. Trying to make something formulaic. Yeah. Because right, who are we going to get to walk down the street this year? Uh, uh, absolutely, because I, I think the truth is, it's not like, it's not like say like a British department store's holiday season campaign that everyone can look forward to. Right. It, we're still campaigning and crusading, and so we're still thinking about. What's the story people need? It, not so much how do we repeat it so everyone gets the same warm glow. It's almost the opposite. It's who who needs to see this story next. Right. And what, what's the new mechanism we can use to disarm it? Absolutely. However is appropriate. To absolutely. The yeah. And and you, you also you start thinking about the media choices because we are uh, we we're very lucky with the ad council. We have a little bit of donated media, but we are we're working off almost entirely from from goodwill and from people sharing it. So you start thinking about what's the, you know, through through the channels as well, what's the best way to get in front of people? Right, you have to be your own kind of uh, media strategist on getting free media. Or oh, yeah. Getting uh, something uh, people are going to spin out to other sources. Absolutely, yes, because it, it's very easy to get distressed inventory from media owners. And uh, nice what, what we really want is... 15s at 3 a.m.? <laughs> Those are awesome. Very helpful. Yes. Yeah. Do you... So that's a... From a media perspective, then you worked with a spokesperson who turned out to be a just a media. He just exploded at the exact right time for you. Yeah. And was very willing, very generous. Does that become a trap that you're trying to partner with someone again, or is that you don't worry about that until there's an idea that's based on a new insight? Well, John Senna was the one was the one round of celebrity work that we did yeah. in, in in 2015. We used an X-ray machine to, right. to, to to show people the the humans behind the stereotypes. Then John Senna came. Then we ran a campaign called Fans of Love, which where, where we put a kiss cam um, at a at a massive football game down in Florida. And yeah, again, again, going yeah, going to a football game in the deep south and messing with a kiss cam is is, is certainly a way of getting outside the that bubble. Is a, that's a risky and, move. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and again, the, that time that there's no celebrity involvement, but what you also had yeah, the things that you had um, repeatedly were firstly, you went to you, you went to a, a, a flashpoint area. Uh, you went to an event uh, where you might be able to disarm people because there is nothing there's nothing more disarming than the kiss cam, and. Um, you also you find yourself with a partner who um, who's got their own media footprint and and um, the the football community was terrific as a, as a partner there. They're receptive to that and carrying yeah. it. That's pretty awesome. So what was the reception like in that stadium? It was terrific. It it it, it was great. Well, once again, this all this all comes down to the fact that the the the, the average person does not see themselves as biased. The average person can be can be disarmed by just straight up um, signs of love and devotion. 
We see a lot with, um, we work with uh, an anti-bullying program mm -hmm. uh, that's state run and we see this kind of bystander effect take place where it's almost like um, if you see two people, somebody's getting bullied or there's a fight or something, if you're, if you're there's a group, it's like the bigger the group, the more likely you are to actually cheer versus help break it up or protect the person who's getting bullied or something. Is there, is, is there a similar action and bias where it's, when you say a football stadium, I start to think, well, if those people really didn't like what was on that kiss cam, they, they could, you know, start booing or going crazy or chucking things. Was the, because there's a crowd effect, the reaction wasn't, didn't get that way. The, the reaction was, the, the reaction was very positive. Again, it comes down to disarming people. Everyone appreciates the surprise and the rug pull. So presenting it in a way that was disarming. And, yeah, absolutely. And engaging. Yeah, yeah. The the guy and the girl next to each other. The kiss cam zooms in. The guy actually turns to the guy next to him, and yeah. it turns out they're the couple. It, 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 it's a it, it's a it's a classic way of building drama and comedy. You 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 disarm. Yeah, you just you play with the expectation. Absolutely. So what is uh, what is next strategically? I'm sure you can't talk about the any work that's being developed, but where do you Given where we are in, in political America right now and building a wall and testing prototypes that can't be climbed over uh, as we speak, how do you see, you know, is America reacting to the campaign? I mean, there's some people that are seeing the work and saying, right on, I get it. But clearly there's a division. Are you leveraging any of that for the next round of work? or? Well, l l let's talk about how people are reacting to it. The... The truth is, since since the campaign ran, uh, when 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 surveyed, people are uh, people's instances of of, of bias um, are are falling. Um, we also saw this. This is a, a very strange metric. It's one of the few um, campaigns uh, in social media history that has been shared more than it's been liked. Which, uh, which, working with the data scientists at YouTube, they said this is usually an indicator of something that speaks to people very deeply, and basically can, speaks for them, and it's something that people can can share. That even if they can't speak up, they can they can share something that it becomes their voice. Right. So you know, we we, we have we have indications of, of it working like that. It also has terrific awareness for um, a public service campaign. People rec people recognise the stamp. And again, if we're talking about crowd effects, have, having like a, re a recognised symbol of non-bias that people can wear and gather around is uh, is important. When it comes to what, what's next, I'm not going to give anything away, but it all be it all becomes about the search for common humanity, because that that that's always been the case. That's your playground. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, w w whether it was um, the Fourth of July, where everyone gets to be an American, or or the Kiss camera, everyone gets to show their love. What we're doing strategically is we're looking for like where it where is the next place where our our common humanity and our common empathy can play out. Oh, that's awesome! So now the the insight just gets to roll, and you get to look for the right opportunity. Yeah, and then sharpen it onto that. Absolutely. Once you get there. Well, that's that's um, excellent insight on that um, campaign and on the work that you did. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for thanks for making time, and Pete, thanks for making this sound pretty pretty much better than every episode of this show put together. Thank you. That's it.